Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome into Hoopsville, the ninth annual marathon as we get ready to cover Division Three and look at the last week, or last week, last month of the regular season. I'm your host, Dave McHugh. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Appreciate your patronage. Uh, if you hear some chewing or some mumbling in the background, our own uh show puppy is in here too tucker is with us if you see the door open it's because he's coming and going it's just him and i in the house as of right now today if you got questions for us throughout the show you can always tweet us at d3 hoops or hashtag hoopsville you can email us hoopsville at d3sports.com that's hoopsville at d3sports.com you can also uh, chat with us on our several outlets uh, that will simulcasting the show as well uh, they are facebook.com slash hoopsville and youtube.com slash d3 hoopsville. There you go. That's how you can interact with us. Hope you are well and we appreciate you coming on. Um, looks like we got maybe a little bit of a weird audio delay. We'll try and figure that out. I am unsure why we're having that issue, but we'll figure it out. It's easy to figure out. Uh, if you got questions for us, you know how to get a hold of us. Uh, we have lots of great guests ahead of us. I can't tell you how excited I am about today's show. Um, as always, um, um, plenty of to talk about in Division Three. Plenty to discuss in Division Three. Um, we're going to not only talk to some of the coaches of programs that are making waves or having great seasons or all the rest. We're also going to talk to some about some of the topics in Division Three we think deserve some attention. We couldn't get all the topics we wanted. One of them that I'm working on is about the Hall of Fame, for example. Nonetheless, we're looking forward to uh, diving in on a few things. Like Luis McCleary will join us later in the program just to talk about the state of Division Three. The convention was a few weeks ago. Some things have changed that we have certainly hit on. But there's more things coming, possibly. So we'll talk to uh, Luis, who is now the full-time um, vi- uh, vice president of Division Three. Last time we talked to her on this show, the 8th Annual Marathon, she was still the interim. That tag was eventually removed. Of course, she took over for Dan Dutcher, who had spent years as the Division Three vice president. Uh, she's, of course, from Division Three. So we'll talk more about her, about the state of that. We'll also talk, talk about the state of officiating. Uh, we will discuss with... Um, Marie Toberman and uh, Jim Haney, who are the two coordinators for the NCAA Division III um, officiating. We'll talk to them about their perspective on the how officiating is on both men and women. We'll talk a little bit about how they work together. We'll talk a little bit about some of the crossover that does or doesn't exist and why it doesn't in a, in a lot of ways. Talk about some of those calls some of you are frustrated by, though we don't go too in-depth on them. We'll also talk uh, to um, Director of Sport for the NFHS, which is basically, I I believe I have this right, the National Federation of State High Schools. Um, Sounds like an interesting topic on Division Three. Well, we've mentioned it before, but there is a decrease, a significant decrease in those playing girls basketball at the high school level. That means there's less players available at the Division Three, Division Two, Division One, all college levels. We see some benches, as we discussed with Mark Moorfield on his on his interview last show, uh, the fact that there are some programs with 25 to 30 people on their roster. But we've seen a number of games this year called off due to there not being enough numbers, including in Division One, where UConn didn't even have seven uh, scholarship players available to play. In Division Three, we've seen injuries and illnesses affect the roster so much that teams have not been able to play. 
And that's only going to get worse, it appears, because we also have the enrollment cliff coming. So we'll talk to Lindsay um, Atkinson about that. Lindsay happens to be a Division three grad. She played basketball at DePaul. So we'll talk about all of that as well. Um, and, and, of course, we have coaches aplenty to talk to as well. Uh, that is not the only thing. Uh, those are not the only topics uh, we'll dive into. Here's a quick rundown of the show today. Veronica Nolt from number 24 Elizabethtown Women's Basketball join us. Ryan Kershaw from Carlton Men's Basketball. Pat Yuckum from number 21 Wash U Men's Basketball. Uh, J.R. Fredette, the Albert, Albertus Magnus women's basketball coach, will join us. By the way, we'll also talk to Tim Murray. He's a Muhlenberg men's basketball grad. He's very much in the sport betting world as a host for VEASAN. We'll talk to him about all of that. We'll talk about the, the um, transition from Division One to Division Three. You Hartford is going through it, getting certainly plenty of attention for it. We will talk to Polly Thomason, the former UT Dallas head coach. We'll talk to her about the challenges at Hartford, where she took over the program in the offseason, and they will be in Division Three next year officially. Uh, Emily Garner from number 11, Trinity, Connecticut, will join us. We'll also talk about the championship weekend that will be there, other than the championship game, the Final Four. Steve Schweers, the Illinois College men's basketball coach, will join us. Uh, we'll also get a double take on the women's side of the top 25 with Gordon Mann, Scott, uh, Scott Peterson, and Riley Zayas. Stevens women's basketball coach Megan Hawley will join us. I think I said her last name wrong. I apologize, Megan. We'll get that right. Um, we'll also hear from our friend Fred Rogan out on the West Coast. He's now only with AM570 ALS, uh, LA Sports. He actually left um, uh, KNBC just a few days ago. We'll talk to him about that. We'll talk to him about the Skyac, where his son is still playing. And he wants to talk about the future of Division Three as well. Josh Angle will then join us from Claremont Mud Scripps, a number 19th ranked men's basketball program. He's a senior guard there. Ryan Kane from the number six Keene State men's basketball program will join us. Tanya Englund will join us from Wisconsin Eau Claire women's basketball. Unfortunately, on a two game slide right now, which was unfortunate due to timing, but we'll talk to her nonetheless about the WIAC battle there. And then Pete Moran from number seven, John Carroll, will join us. And then we open it up to the happy hour. Friends of the program, maybe some of you will join us and we'll talk to uh, them and you and all of those about everything. Um, there is a t-shirt or a merch store opening. I'm waiting for the official link, honestly, on that. And as soon as we get it, uh, we will launch it and put it on our website. Um, but new new merch, actually. We've added a long sleeve T-shirt. We've also added a new design that you might be interested in um, and a couple of other options. Those are, uh, are going to be available at, later in the show. We'll, we'll get those launched here for anybody who's interested. That store will be open for two weeks, just two weeks. We're trying to make sure you get your shirts at least by the middle of March Madness. Uh, it'll take two to three weeks of shipping once the store closes. The store is going to close on February 17th. So we're looking forward to that. That's a way of fundraising for our program, getting us some funds to help pay off the bills. At the same time, some of you have asked about fundraising. Our Give Butter fundraising campaign has been rejuvenated, as it were, so you can give through that. There's a link on the uh, website uh, right below our Venmo information. We don't have a link on the Venmo. I'm going to have to fix that. But you can donate through Venmo if you would like to as well. Uh, if anyone's asking about PayPal, we're trying. We're having an issue with the account, so I don't think that's going to work out today. So there you go. That's everything we're doing today. And it is a fundraiser for the show because we're trying to raise funds for this program. We have a modest goal at Give Butter, but we'd love to blow through it if we could. That Give Butter campaign also goes through the seven or it goes through the end of, of February. Um, 
and we hope we can take advantage of that. So there you go. Everything we're doing here on the show, plus talking about the results so far. By the way, I saw Catholic last night on the men's basketball side playing my alma mater, and maybe it's not a great um, measuring, measuring stick against my Gophers, um, but I was pretty impressed. I've been voting for them for several weeks in my top 25. Pretty comfortable with where I have them. Really quick team, um, deep team. They definitely go deep on the bench um, with, with pieces that can interchange. Uh, they're getting um, results out of seniors all the way to freshmen. Uh, there was one freshman in particular uh, that I was pretty impressed with. Unfortunately, he uh, is an alum of my son's uh, school. So Aaron Kelly and I joked afterward he's not allowed to recruit from that school anymore. Um, we, we need to keep the Cardinals out of that school. Uh, I kid. It, <laughs> a, it won't happen. Uh, and B, I would never do that. But uh, really was impressed with, with the Catholic men's team. I thought they were good. I From what I watched on video, I was pretty impressed. Seam in person certainly uh, clarified that and uh, made me feel confident about where I'm voting for them in the top 25. I'm, so there's that. There's lots of results that took place. By the way, Worcester got its 1,800th overall victory last night. Congratulations to the Scots, which makes, by the way, the loss to Oberlin over the weekend seem even more interesting because if they'd beaten Oberlin, that would have been their 1,800. But instead, Oberlin ended a 60-game losing streak to Worcester and delayed the celebration until Wednesday. Um, but congratulations to Worcester nonetheless. Certainly very impressive feat. Uh, to say the least. Uh, there's also other games that will be taking place today. We'll keep an eye on those. Um, we're obviously starting to pivot at this point and talking about who's in and who's out or who may be in the conversation for regional rankings. I, I know the boys at uh, D3 Bubble and D3 uh, Cast and, and Quillman and all of them are neck deep in that. I have not waded that far into it for good reason, to be honest with you. I have not bracketed for good reason. I want to see what the actual regional rankings are, and I want to see what the actual data is. Um, because uh, sometimes we always find that there's a flaw that we didn't realize. Let, let's talk about last point. last year. We suddenly realized that for years we had misunderstood how the non-conference SOS was being um, measured. Well, it's not a major point. It was certainly one that caught our attention. So, I'm waiting a little bit, but those regional rankings, the first ones, will be out next week on Tuesday on the men's side. On men's, on, on, let's try it again. On men's on the Tuesday, <laughs> Tuesday on the men's side, Wednesday on the women's side. Again, that's Tuesday on the men's side each week, Wednesday on the women's. First rankings again will be alphabetical, and we've discussed all the reasons for those. So we have to wait till week two to see an actual numbered ranking. Um, but at least we'll have a, a, a toe in the water of understanding where a lot of teams sit. Now, please remember, there will be a lot of changes until week one, not only because of results, but because uh, results versus regionally ranked opponents data will be added into the week two data, which it isn't in week one, and that will change the equation as well. And don't forget, because, folks, it is important, the home of the top 16 announcement is here on Hoopsville. We will announce two weeks from today the the top 16s in both men's and women's Division Three basketball here on Hoopsville as an exclusive. That top 16s announcement basically will give you an idea after the week two, um, the week two regional rankings of who the top 
top 16 teams essentially were, if a, if a bracket were to be made in that moment and there were no other limitations, who the teams most likely to be hosting are. Now, there's limitations if there's a geography issue. There's limitations, and we're going to see it with Christopher Newport on who gets priority. Women get priority in the opening weekend. So those things will have to be considered. But this gives you a sense heading into the last week and a half of the season of where things stand uh, in Division Three, especially with that top 16. So... That is here two weeks from tonight, and we really look forward to doing that. That will obviously be our focus once we're done here with the marathon on how we're going to craft that. We will have the committee chairs on to discuss those rankings. We will also have our own panel on to discuss the outcome of those rankings. By the way, speaking of giving, I want to thank uh, a friend of the show for a nice $50 donation to the Hoopsville Cause. Um, really appreciate that. Again, you can do it through GiveButter. You can do it through Venmo. We have those options on our website, and we will also tweet them out here in a short bit. Uh, but really appreciate the, the donation, and uh, re- I cannot say tell you how much it means to me. I will point out as well, uh, thanks to the Women's Basketball Coaches Association, National Association of Basketball Coaches, and um, and uh, Huddle Blue Frame Technology for their assistance and support of the show. Checks are, are hitting the bank, which is very important for us to pay bills and mortgages and all that, but more importantly, f- because this does take time and work, and we appreciate everybody's support in doing that. Uh, also, a big thanks to the D3 Hoops staff, not only for f- giving us a home on the web, but most importantly, for the p- feedback everybody gives us along the way. So we have a jam-packed, marathon show we'll be starting here in just a few minutes with the women's side we'll talk to veronica note of elizabethtown i saw them in the very first game of the season and i know that is a hard point to gauge it was a back and forth game for about two and a half quarters before e-town put their foot down and i remember thinking to myself this could be a really good team i remember thinking that last year they are a very good team they have one loss this season it's to scranton they've got the rematch coming we will talk to Veronica about the squad and how good those Blue Jays really are this season. Really looking forward to that conversation. That's how we're going to get things started, and there's plenty of great conversations between now and then. And please interact with us. You know how to. We hope you'll take advantage of it. By the way, quick breaking news. I uh, just saw this. Uh, it's on my email now. We had a friend email or text it to me as well. John Carroll's uh, um, athletics director, uh, Michelle Morgan is leaving the university. She is now the new commissioner of the Atlantic uh, Hockey Association and College Hockey America. Um, congratulations to her. I think there's some mixed feelings on that. I think she was she was just a, if my memory's correct. St. Thomas ties because I think when St. Thomas had an opening for AD, her name was in the mix, but she had only just started. If memory serves, at John Carroll. Um, I would say there's mixed feelings. I think there's many people who think she's done pretty good work. John Carroll certainly become a little bit more competitive, I think, in a lot of sports. Maybe I'm mistaken, but that's my read on it. But there's some, I think, that are they're ready for some new change. We'll see how that all plays out, but a new AD coming. Uh, she was uh, on the management council that was pretty integral uh, in Division Three, especially. Uh, she wasn't the chair, but during those the COVID challenges and all that, she was involved with a, a lot of those decisions. Um uh, I think she was in her third year on the management council, second term. I, I've lost track of the years. But she just rotated off the, the chair of that position recently. So um, congratulations to her. That's a, that's a heck of a job to jump onto. We'll take a break with that in mind because we have so much to talk about and so much to get to. 
here on the show. And we'll start with Elizabethtown. You are watching the ninth annual Hoopsville Marathon here on on Hoopsville and Blue Frame Technology. By the way, you might be watching on your big screen. That's a lot of fun, too. Uh, I hope you're enjoying that. Um, whether it's on the Team One Sports app, if you want to watch on your big screen, you can also just call it up on a web. But there is a app for Apple TV, Roku, uh, Amazon Fire, all the like. You can watch us there through the Team One Sports app as well. And with that, we are taking that break. You're listening to Hoops Hope, presented by T3Hoops.com from the WBCA NABC studio. The marathon is just getting started. A lot more to come. your teams, your players, your community of fans. This is where they play, where they practice, where you cheer at every meet, every event, every game. Your community is passionate, dedicated, supportive. You know the tension of a close game and the thrill of the win. So while you're cheering, keep an eye out for anything out of the ordinary. If you see something suspicious, say something to local authorities. It starts right when you hit the court. You imagine your finest moment. The game-winning shot that gets you to the dance. A monster dunk or no-look pass. And cutting down the net. Sports lets us dream of our own success. And prepare us for our finest moments on and off the court. got more schools than Division One, more fans than Division Two, and more upsets than March Madness. There's 800 programs with over 11,000 games leading to two national championships. And we've been covering it all for over a decade. From Eastern to Occidental, from Puget Sound to Piedmont, from Southwestern to the University of New England, and from Hope to Calvin. Nobody covers Division Three basketball like we do. We're D3Hoops.com at www.d3hoops.com. It's on us to stop sexual assault. In any way that we can. To get a friend home safe. To never blame the victim. It's on us. To stand up. To make our community safe for all. It's on us. It's on us to look out for each other at parties. It's on us. To be more than just a bystander. To step up and say something. It's on us. All of us. To to stop stop sexual sexual assault. assault. Learn how and take the pledge at itsonus.org. And welcome back to the marathon as we are just getting going. If you've got questions for us, tweet us at D3Hoopsville, hashtag Hoopsville. Email us, hoopsville at d3sports.com. You can also join us on Facebook where we're live simulcasting the show. I should check in there, shouldn't I? Facebook.com slash Hoopsville. Uh, we're also on YouTube at youtube.com slash D3Hoopsville. And our favorite fan, Blazer Bobcat, watching and listening from Albany, Georgia. Appreciate that and your support. All right, let's get things going. Uh, as I said before the, sh- uh, the segment, or before the break, got to see Elizabethtown a couple times in the last couple of seasons and saw them at the very beginning of this year 
was uh, pretty reasonably impressed and talked to Coach about that fact. Granted, it was the first game of the season, but when you take a close game in your first game out and then turn that game into a blowout about midway through the third quarter and you now only have one loss in the season and you've got a decent schedule, um, then I think what I saw in the first game may be true. They've got a lot of great talent. They go deep on that squad. And there's plenty more to talk about. So joining us on the Blue Frame Technology... Oops, oops so hot. I was going to say that. We're not quite there. Hold on a sec. got to make one change because, you know, technology is lovely. Uh, joining us on the Blue Frame Technology Hoopsaw Hotline to talk about the Blue Jays, it is Veronica Nolte, the head coach of their team. Coach, thanks for taking the time to join us. Great to see you. I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. Absolutely. By the way, love the pictures. Great backdrop. Um, uh, just... So I'm curious, you and I talked beginning of the season. You expected to have a good team, but did you expect only to be having your one loss be to Scranton and you'd have all these wins piled up and be having the success you're actually ha- actually having? I, I just don't think like that, to be honest. <laughs> I know we kind of joked about it early when I first saw you there um, down at that first game, but realistically, we just have to take things one at a time. And because we are so young, you know, you have to determine – how how far ahead do you want to think? And you just really have to keep it one game at a time with, with a group as young as mine. Yeah, you ended up winning that first game, 85-43. And as I said to everybody, about midway through the third quarter, that game was nip and tuck. Um, and again, first game of the season. But you had so many players then, and you have so many players still who contribute in so many ways, whether it's the the starting five, which is usually King, Reno, Boyd, Wilson, McNulty. You also have Mummert off the bench and uh, others who come off the bench. Romanowski comes to mind from that first game. You're deep. You've got the ability to go to that bench and, and bring up players who can help change the pace of the game or change the look of things. Or if you're in foul trouble, certainly give you a spell. How important is that depth? Oh, it's been critical to our success. And everybody who comes in off of the bench brings something different than what maybe is currently on the floor. And they have the flexibility at a lot of different positions to bring players in with a different strength that might address a different defense or offensive issue that we're dealing with on the court has really been a blessing for us. You're outscoring your opponents by 21 points per contest, while defensively, let me just double check, you're holding everybody to 54 and a half points per game outside of Scranton. We'll talk about that in a minute, but is it defense? That's the key to this right now. Is it offense and you're just so strong that no one can keep up? Well, I just think it's really just a combination of we are getting better defensively. We have, you know, we have a ways to go there, you know, to get to where we would like to be, certainly. Offensively, I think we do have a lot of options and weapons that are very versatile. You know, we've got kids that can shoot the three very well. We've got post players that can finish very strong. And all those in-between opportunities with mid-range pull-ups and just a lot of strengths. We're starting to pass the ball a little bit better as a group and um, get get the offense breathing a little bit more. So um, I think it's a combination of both, but we're not where we want to be yet, certainly, um, on either end. I don't think I know any coach at this point in the season <laughs> that ever says they're ever where they want them to be. <laughs> Sure. Uh, one one thing that jumps out at me, you've had 304 assists at just 273 on, on turnovers, so you have more assists to turnovers. But on defensive, you're forcing 348 turnovers and only allowing 222 assists. You're stifling offenses. I think some days are better than others, right? <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm really proud of the girls. We are They are working very, very hard to try and improve and, and just get better being a lot of more ball pressure the whole time just 
applying that pressure for that 40 minutes. And that's why I think you do see that some of the, the bursts you're seeing it later in the game where we have so many kids that we can run in and out of there. That's been beneficial to us in certain situations. It's a two-headed monster that's leading the way in Summer McNulty and Danny Ray Reno, both at 15-plus points a game. McNulty at almost 16. Reno's then pulling down seven and a half rebounds on top of that. And McNulty, while she may not be scoring, is then dishing it out. She's got 64 assists on the mm-hmm. season, nearly three and a half, well, about three and a half assists per contest. And they both shoot well. She's Reno's shooting 58% from the floor and has never taken a three-pointer. They, they're decent from the free throw line, and that's not against anyone else. There's certainly others who are contributing, but those two are certainly the key, and it's a great inside-outside presence. Well, they've really got a connection together. Ironically, they used to play together. We have a great photo of them when they were in eighth grade, and you know, Danny is 6'2", and Summer at the time was probably you know 5'6". Um, <laughs> it's really a cute, cute uh, jump center photo of them. But over the time that they've gotten to play against each other in high school, now that they're playing together, they're really starting to read each other and work together very well. Again, all of our kids are contributing, and they're finding each other, um, which is pretty neat to see. Well, yeah, I was going to say the next three are averaging more than seven points per contest. Uh, Siley Wilson, Jessica King, Lindsey Boyd, they're all part of, that, part of that five starters that we mentioned along with the other two. They've started and played every single game. But you, it, we talk about the, the depth of the bench. One, two, three, four. There's five players who have played – no, sorry, six players who played at least 16 games. And to be honest, seven, eight, nine players who played 10 or more games of the 19. You're playing everyone, which scores certainly help there. But it's part of that depth. And you've got everybody buying in. Because sometimes those bench players have to buy into their role, right? Absolutely. And, you know, I'll give you a prime example here, Our our captain is a graduate student who doesn't get a ton of minutes. And um, my gosh, what a key to our team and our program that she has become because she recognizes that other people are going to get some more opportunities than her. And she is focused and ready to go for every game and every practice and really leading by example that this is a team effort. And, um, you know, conversely, the starters are coming out and not maybe getting the minutes that they could get as well because, there's more talent on the team this year than we've had in the past, but they all of the, you know, 15 kids on the roster are really just a joy and they get so excited for each other when one of them does well. So it's, it's pretty neat. Obviously building on last year's season, 20 and six um, finished with unfortunately two losses in a row, one in the conference um, tournament to Catholic and then to John Carroll, who unfortunately unceremoniously asked you guys to leave the NCAA tournament. I know that wasn't the way you all wanted to finish. Is that driving this season? Oh, absolutely. I think, you know, for last year, realistically, we had 12 first-year players. So you don't know what you don't know. As much as you can tell someone something, what this is going to take and, um, you know, to continue to to be successful in a conference is as tough as the landmark is. I think it was a little bit eye-opening when we um, really kind of, you know, went to that first round of the NCAA tournament and we were – 18 and 19 year old girls against a very seasoned group of women. Um, I think that was a little bit of a punch in the face and, and motivating to these girls in the off season to really, you know, step it up a little bit in the weight room, certainly in their conditioning. So, yeah, I think it was, it was a great experience, but also turned out to be a stepping stone for us as well. Hopefully moving forward. You've beaten teams like Franklin and Marshall, but most importantly, uh, teams like Salisbury this season, Washington and Lee, you guys beat by 12, 80 to 68. Um, 
it's been a good season. Scranton's the only blemish. You lost to them on the 13th, 87-67. What was it about that game that that didn't work the way the, the other games have? That's a great question. I mean, certainly we have our own theories there that we just we just didn't show up in the way that we needed to show up. And that's a team with, you know, they are older. They've got, you know, grad students and seniors, you know, also in the mix, whereas we don't have that. So, um, again, I think we were very prepared, but there's a difference between knowing something and kind of embracing it into, you know, experience. And so now, okay, now you had your experience, right? So, as freshmen and, and really second year players, because, you know, our juniors, we didn't compete at all or practice really at all that COVID year. Um, I think as a little eye opening, punch in the face is good once in a while, brings it out into use to see, you know, can we get better? Obviously we need to get better if we want to, you know, make the playoffs here in the conference and to see if we can get any opportunities beyond that. Well, it was interesting because you were kind of in a three game uh stretch there where you had to head west to Juniata, you had to head north to Scranton, and then after that, head down to D.C. to play Catholic. Right. And, you know, punching the nose in the middle of that can, you know, turn the Catholic game into a fiasco potentially and, and take two in a row. You guys got right back on the horse, got a big win there, 64-58, held their offense to below 60, and now you're on a five-game winning streak and take advantage of, of the home court in the meantime. So, interesting way to react. You, you came right out of that like, okay, whatever, and moved on. I was really proud of them. I and mean, it's one of those days where we went, we were heading down to Catholic. We had a couple of kids that were banged up and weren't feeling good. And I'm like, well, this could go either way, you know? <laughs> so I was really, really uh, proud of the way we responded in that, in that game. You're playing six of the last nine games at home. And interesting enough, you'll get the rematches here against Catholic and Scranton in reverse order. You'll actually take on Catholic uh, at home coming up here in two games time. Moravian still ahead of you on the road and then Scranton at home before you'll finish on a two-game run on the road. I, I know you're not looking that far ahead, but how important is this stretch here to, to not only stay at the top of the conference, but also potentially maybe even move into the first place spot if things can go your way? Oh, Dave, you think way too far ahead. <laughs> we it's know my every, job. <laughs> I know every game is important you know, in our conference. And realistically, regardless of, of how the standings are right now, you're finding every team is very competitive, even as recently as last night's games. I mean, it was kind of up in the air partway through many of those games. And so, yeah, as a result, realistically, next game, one game at a time. So, Yeah, to that point, Goucher was leading Catholic at halftime despite 17 turnovers. Uh, Catholic came out in the second half and woke up. So we'll leave it at that. Uh, definitely a different second half in that game. Uh, you do have Moravian ahead of you, and Mary Beth Spurk is always a tough coach and, and program. So obviously there's that to tackle first before you then get Catholic and then before you get Scranton and then you have Drew and then then you have the Gophers. So you've got a bit of a stretch here still ahead. There's a lot to play for. Are you comfortable that if you can't win this conference, you guys can maybe at least march back into the NCAA tournament? Or is there more pressure just to try and get something done in the conference? I don't think that that's something that I could ever answer. Um, because reality is we're going to just have to take care of what we can take care of. We can't project forward what someone else will decide if we can get in or get knock it in. Um, you know, it's take care of what we can take care of and it will be as it will be after that. So really one game at a time is our focus and not thinking about will we or will we not be able to have that experience again. So what's what's it like to to coach a program with such a storied history? First to a thousand wins in division three. Uh, you then got to eleven hundred right before COVID. 
I know we're knocking on 1,200 somewhere. I've lost track. Uh, I know that's coming up, but a couple of national championships back in the 80s on top of that. What's it like to, to coach a program that to some way has such a rich history, but I think in another, not many people appreciate? Well, I've been very blessed, really. Um, the person who was in charge all those years of, you know, when they were the rich history in the 80s, winning the two national championships in 82 and 89 and the final four in 83 and 84. She's coming to our games, you know, our home games now. And the girls have gotten to know her and have a relationship with her. And um, it's really been a blessing. I, As far as people paying attention to some of the the women's sports who have been successful the, or the teams that have been successful in any school, sometimes it's just difficult to get them in the door. But um, can't worry about that. My my goal really is to give my kids a great experience. We want to have, we want to win games. Obviously, we're all very competitive. Everybody is, but we want to have a great experience. At the end of our time here, I want them to wish it wasn't over. So um, the combination of of just really having an awesome group of student athletes to work with and our staff to work with, and being able to tie in, you know, the legend Yanni Kaufman into our program, and to um, have her enjoy the benefits of getting to know these kids and then respecting her and knowing her and the contributions she's made to E-Town and to the NCAA women's basketball, you know, in general over the 40, almost 42 years she was coaching here. Um, it's pretty special for me. So I, I count my blessings for sure. Well, you played your um, college days at Millersville and certainly that's where your education is. Elizabethtown has become basically your home. You've had a long stint twice now with E-Town. What's so special about the school that, that, that keeps you there? I just love it. I mean, the kids are, are great. Um, the, the staff, the athletic staff that I work with, our athletic director, Chris Morgan, is awesome. You know, prior Nancy Lattimore was wonderful. I'm just really blessed with the people that I get to work with and the kind of students that E-Town attracts. So, yeah, that's why. Um, uh, obviously, a lot of changes. You're now in the Landmark Conference. It's very different than where you guys have been, but it's it, you're familiar with all the schools. Uh, how has the Landmark Conference worked out from your perspective? It's a very hard conference. I mean, every day, you know, obviously Scranton is always a top 10 team, if not higher this year, obviously. Um, you know, Catholic's always strong, Drew, Moravian. Everyone's got a good team that that's competitive all the time. So fortunately, we're located in the middle of the conference. So yes. some of our traveling stints are, you know, a little easier than some of our yep. conference opponents. So I'm grateful for that also. Um, <laughs> yes. No one's really asking my opinion which conference we should be in, but I think it's <laughs> it's been good for us to be in this one as well. So. And gets bigger next year. You'll bring in Lyco and Wilkes. Uh, not that that really changes too much in your travel schedule. You're basically Scranton still further away than those two. But what's it going to be like to have two more foes and, and a little bit of a different schedule? Yeah, it'll, be, it'll take some adjusting, certainly. Um, you know, trying to plan out our you know, next year's schedule has already been a little bit trickier just because of how it falls. You know, our conference schedule falls, starts so much earlier, you know, yeah. right around Thanksgiving. So it'll be tricky, but I'm sure we'll adjust and It'll be great. Well, Veronica, I appreciate your time joining us and, and talking about your squad. Certainly impressive. I said that in game number one, and it's great to see that it's still resonating now, and I look forward to seeing how it all plays out, especially the rematches coming up. As always, we give the guests the final word. Any final thoughts you'd like to share with those who may be tuned in today? Yes, I just, um, I'm really, really proud of my team. The girls have worked their butts off and uh, grateful for my staff. So, you know, go Blue Jays. Uh, it takes a good staff, too, to, to be successful. Congratulations to the Blue Jays, and we'll look forward to talking to you and talking about the squad a little bit further down the road. Appreciate it, Dave. Thanks so much. Absolutely. Veronica Nolte joining us on the on the huddle.
I think I said Blue Frame earlier, Huddle Hoopsville Hotline. It's a nice alliteration now, Huddle Hoopsville Hotline, joining us on the show. Again, they got five games left in the regular season at Moravian, home against Catholic and Scranton, on the road against Drew and Goucher before they finish things up in the conference tournament. We'll see how that all plays out, but they're a good team. Keep an eye on them, especially if it comes NCAA tournament time. We'll take a break. When we come back, we're switching gears, and I've already forgotten who our next guest is. Oh, it's Carlton. We head all the way out to Minnesota to talk about a team that's catching everybody by surprise. You're listening to Hoopsville, presented by D3Hoops.com from the WBCA and ABC Studios. Great moments are born from great opportunity. That's what you have here tonight. That's what you've earned here tonight. This is your time. Now go out there and take it. to stop sexual assault. In any way that we can. To get a friend home safe. To never blame the victim. It's on us. To stand up. To make our community safe for all. It's on us. It's on us to look out for each other at parties. It's on us. To be more than just a bystander. To step up and say something. It's on us, all of us. To to stop stop sexual sexual assault. assault. Learn how and take the pledge at itsonus.org. There are over 480,000 college athletes. Only 2% would go pro. That means over 470,000 will not get a shoe contract. No autographs. No private jets. No fan clubs. No Hall of Fame inductions. Instead, they will walk away with something much more valuable. We've got more schools than Division One, more fans than Division Two, and more upsets than March Madness. There's 800 programs with over 11,000 games leading to two national championships. And we've been covering it all for over a decade. From Eastern to Occidental, from Puget Sound to Piedmont, from Southwestern to the University of New England, and from Hope to Calvin. Nobody covers Division Three basketball like we do. We're D3Hoops.com at www.d3hoops.com. Welcome back to Hoops, everybody. Hope you're enjoying the marathon as we've just gotten rolling. I should really check the chat channels to make sure no one's chatting with us. But if you want to email us, hoops at d3sports.com. Years of stuff. I can't get it out of my head. Is the way to do it. I'll check that in just a bit. You can also tweet us or you can interact with us on Facebook or YouTube. All that information at the bottom. By the way, Facebook uh, can only go eight hours with that, and we will be going more than that. So around 4.30 or so, we're going to switch streams, I hope, knock on wood, on Facebook to another stream. We'll see how it all works out. I'm not holding my breath, but we might get lucky. Uh, One of the teams that is capturing the attention of many, especially on the men's side, is Carrollton out of the MIAC. we knew there was got a lot change when St. Thomas was going to step aside and move on to D1. We thought the Johnnies would kind of fill that void, and 
you know, others would fill in. I don't think anyone expected Carrollton to be in that conversation, and it's great that they are. Don't get me wrong. I think it's out, absolutely outstanding that we're talking about the Knights. Uh, it just shows that the conference is deeper than I think a lot of people realize and certainly a little bit more interesting. So joining us on the Blue Frame Correction, I'm going to get this right eventually. On the Huddle Hoopsaw Hotline, it is Ryan Kershaw, the head coach of the aforementioned Carrollton Knights, who are having a bang-out season. Coach, welcome to the show. Thanks for taking the time. Um, I'll be honest. You were 16-7 and last year. Not too bad. 13-5 and in the conference, making some waves. 11-14 and the year before COVID. Did you expect a 17-3 and campaign at this point, 20 games into the season? Uh, to be honest, 17 and three, um, you know, may, maybe not, but, uh, but we knew we had a good team coming back. Um, you know, we had a good, you know, a solid season last year and we really, you know, we knew we had one senior last year, uh, who graduated. He's actually playing, uh, as a graduate transfer, he's at uh, university of Chicago this year. And so, um, you know, we knew we had a good team. We had, a, uh, you know, this was going to be one of the more talented teams, uh, more experienced teams that we've had, you know, certainly in my you know, my 10 years here at Carleton, first nine as assistant, first year as a head coach this year. So uh, 17 and three, maybe, maybe not, but, but we knew we had, the, we had the potential to, to have a, uh, what could be a very special season here. Yeah. Special to say the least. Uh, 17 and three, as we said, you've already out uh, done the wins count dating back to 2016, 17, when you won 18 games, that likely will be uh, dismantled. The next mark would be the 2009-2010 season when you guys finished 19-10. and 10. You'd done that two out of three seasons at that point. The Mayak's always tough. The schedule's brutal. Uh, St. Thomas certainly had made it tough. There's now a little bit of that gap. Is that part of the reason everyone is succeeding more, or is this really a program change? I, I think... You know, I don't have the specific data to back this up. I was, uh, I was, I was told a stat within the last couple of weeks. You know, basically talking about what you're talking about and just the balance that we have. I mean, I think, I think more so this year, there is more balance in the league from top to bottom. Um, and just looking at the scores and the results, you know, it's truly, it's truly a league where anybody can beat anybody. And and you know, you you are correct um, in the years where you know we had St. Thomas, who you know was just such a dominant force in our league for such a long time and was was really terrific for our league in, in so many ways. Um, you know, but their, but their success, I mean, they were, you know, how many national tournaments, you know, conference championships, all that. And so there certainly is more parity in the league this year, which, you know, I think, um, you know, has been great to see teams, certainly us to have an opportunity to be at the top of the league, but, but for the other teams too. And, you know, basically every team in the league right now with, you know, basically uh, two weeks to go in the regular season is still playing for something, whether it's, you know, a chance to get in the conference tournament uh, which, which again, will probably be more open this year than it has been in years past, too. So, so from that standpoint, I think it's been a, a you know very positive thing for the league. The conference uh, schedule was so brutal. You started with a conference game against Bethel uh, to start the season back on November sixteenth, eighty-four seventy-seven win over them. Then you headed out to Colorado Springs, got a win over Whitworth and a win over Carroll before returning home and getting a win on the road against Augsburg to get back into conference play. It's all about conference play. You've had a couple of non-conference games sprinkled in, um, but Whitworth's probably your, your, your biggest game on that schedule. To some degree, it's, it's win the conference and get in. There's that pressure, but at the same time, the success has got to be kind of clouding everything. And I don't mean that negative. I mean, you're having so much success, that's got to be what everyone's enjoying. It, it has been fun. There's no question. And, um, and you just brought up something about, you know, our, the conference schedule. And, and we are very unique as a league where uh, we are the only 
11 team uh, uh, conference in, in the country at the division three level that plays a true round robin. And so, you know, that's certainly, you know, for all the reasons that have been discussed on, on your show in the past, that that certainly is a, you know, a, a bit of a hindrance uh, when you're talking about pool C and, and some of those things too. And, um, you know, and, and there has been some examples in, in years past where teams have done well in the non-conference, um, you know, it, historically it's been okay well, can you go five and oh or four and one maybe and have those good wins and can you win you know can you beat us uh split with a saint thomas or something like that and then have a shot to get a pool c um you know and, and it's it's a little bit different this year uh for sure and we had a great non-conference and to be honest you know looking before the season i looked at our non-conference schedule and thought okay well whitworth is i think whitworth is the winningest program in division three in the last 20 years um, you know, if, if they're not, they're up there. They, I think they've had the most 20 win seasons maybe in the last 20 years in Division Three, And so certainly a fantastic program. They have played in an incredibly difficult non-conference schedule. You know, Carroll is a CCIW team, um, you know, plays in one of the toughest, toughest leagues in the country. They had a, you know, very unique situation this year where, you know, um, you know, coaching change, you know, early on in the season uh, from that standpoint. And then we played you know, a couple of local UMAC teams too, that, you know, Bethany Lutheran is, is a terrific team. Um, and in Northwestern has, has won that conference how many years in mm -hmm. a row too. So, you know, I think we try to find that balance, right. Sure. With, with trying to, you know, trying to find the ring. That's just the challenge when there's only five non-conference games, um, you know, it can be a, you know, a very delicate balance into, in trying to match the schedule, you know, certainly if there's years like this where we, you know, we wanted to think there might be a shot at a, you know, an NCAA or a pool C. You want to give yourself the opportunity to do that, but it's it, it certainly can be a challenge from from that standpoint too. Oh no, absolutely. I mean, the balance is is not bad. I mean, you certainly went and targeted some good squads. Uh, not to derail the conversation completely, we've talked about it. You've probably heard about it. I almost feel like the the ODAC idea of playing your opponents three times in two years really needs to be adopted by the MIAC because this you, you, I mean, it's you, a little out of hand. You're not going to get a whole lot of pushback from coaches with that statement. I think there's a lot of coaches in our conference who, who completely agree with you. And, um, you know, I, I think I would say, you know, there's been a lot of discussion about that, where it, where it kind of goes. We'll, we'll have to see. But um, there has been some change from an administrative level at, at different schools within the league, too, which, you know, it seems like there's some more positive momentum going in that direction, which, again, you know, it, it, there's not a coach in our league. Uh, or, I shouldn't. I guess I shouldn't say that. But um, you know, the, I think the vast majority of coaches in our league, you know, tend to agree with you from that standpoint. And so we'll, you know, this is the way it is right now, and we'll see if we'll see how it how it changes if it can. But you know, in the meantime, we're, you know, we're we're enjoying the season that we have. And and to your earlier point, it's it is largely going to be about about the uh, you know about how we do in the conference from that standpoint too and and the conference is difficult there's there's as we say there's landmines out there everywhere um, yeah. you know with, with each game every you know home road doesn't matter yeah. um, every game if you play average you, you're probably going to get beat um, you know I think the the conference has certainly showed that up to this point I'm surprised if there's that much agreement it hasn't been done but I digress we'll move on we don't need to beat that thing into the ground like we do all the time uh let's talk about your squad you're led by jeremy beckler 20.7 points per contest five rebounds uh healthy amount of assists shoots pretty well from the floor at 52 percent oh by the way 39 percent from beyond the arc don't follow me shoots 80 percent from the free throw line we'll talk about the rest of the guys because you got others in double figures besides just beckler but how how special is is jeremy he's special he's a special player for sure we knew that when when we got him and and, and we've had you know, in my in my time at Carleton, um, 
we've had some terrific players here. We've had two Jostens Trophy finalists. Uh, we had a young man, Freddie Gillespie, who was here for two years. He transferred to Baylor. He played in the NBA uh, for for a couple seasons. And so we've had some 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 pretty good players here. Jeremy offensively is he's the most skilled player that you know I've coached in my in my time. And um, and I think one thing for him that's a little bit unique too is that he is a he is a true senior. Um, and so, you know, uh, for him, you know, he lost his whole sophomore year, um, where we did not play any games that year. And so, you know, his numbers, you know, he scored a thousandth point earlier this year, you know, just, just with COVID and, you know, um, you know, the volume of, of players, you know, across the country who are in a fifth year, he's a true fourth year kid. He's not going to use his fifth year, um, you know, anywhere he's going to graduate here, actually pretty here pretty soon. He's got a great job lined up for himself um, and all that, but he uh, he's a tremendous player. His versatility um, is is such an asset to to us and our team offensively. You, you know, for all the reasons that you touched on, he he can shoot it from three. He can score inside. Uh, he's a good passer. He's he's you know uh, one of our best free throw shooters. One of the best free throw shooters in the in the conference. Um, you know, he's a tremendous player, and you know, for for us to have him and the skill set that he has is. It, it, it makes us tough, you know, with the other guys we have around him. We have we have a, a pretty good complementary group of players around him as well, which which makes us, you know, difficult. I think to defend on a lot of uh, on a lot of levels for a lot of teams. Uh, yeah, impressive because you also have three or four more guys in double figures. It's not just him at twenty point seven. You got three. Uh, you got significant other offensive weapons. You guys don't mind putting it in the basket at all on offense. No, no, I think and I think that's one of the strengths of our team is just the versatility and the depth that we have. Um, you know, we can play different styles. We can, you know, we can score inside if we need to. We can shoot it. Um, you know, we can spread out teams and, and depending on what, you know, what the matchup is from that standpoint. Um, you know, so I just, you know, we, we and we've got a team that if we need to, we've got some guys that can can really defend at a high level as well. And so uh, I think the versatility and the depth is is huge. And. Yeah, some of the other guys that, that you've talked about, Luke Harris is having a terrific year for a sophomore point guard. Alex Gibbons, uh, uh, you know, a junior wing player, a lot of versatility, um, you know, for us. And then, um, you know, Matt Banovitz, you know, who's who's really, you know, come on for us this year as a junior. He's one of our better defenders. He really shoots the three well um, and uh, has turned into a terrific player. We have a – and then we have a kid coming off the bench. Uh, you know, our bench is is – you know, our, our three guys that we that have played the primary minutes for us coming off the bench, you know, have been huge. And we've got good shooting coming off there. We have a kid, Beck Page, who started for us uh, all last year and who's in a little different role for us, but um, has has done great. And um, I'm very proud of him and, and just our whole team from that standpoint has, has been really neat. Luke Harris, 16 points a game, 11.2 from Matt uh, Banovitz, uh, 10.7 from Alex Gibbons. Then you mentioned uh, the other guys, Beck Page at 8.2, 6.9 from Chuck Sweat. Um, great. You know, all of them are rebounding. All of them are handing out assists, including uh, Gibbons and Harris, who are your leaders in those two ca- in that category. It's a, definitely a team game. Everyone's got to buy in, right? And I think that's – you're exactly right. I think that's a – you know, probably the biggest difference in our team this year from a year ago, and 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 you kind of alluded to it earlier, but you know, we're talented, we're deep, and we're old. You know, experience which helps a lot, and and the you know the analogy that we've kind of used a lot is is just the sense of urgency, and I think that's the biggest difference this year is just the urgency that we have approached really every practice and game with. Um, that's different with younger teams, and you know, the analogy that we've used is that 
you know, when the sand in the hourglass, you know, when the bottom starts to fill up more than what's left in the top, um, you know, there's a different level of urgency, you know, and I think I think our team is a good example of that this year. And just, you know, the practices, I think they're enjoying being around each other, you know, um, even some of the, the, the quote unquote mundane drills that, that are not as enjoyable from that standpoint, too. But they you know, they've really embraced a lot of that. And, and it's it's been a fun team to, to be around and to coach on a daily basis. Well, it certainly seems impressive. We should point out you were hired to be the head coach officially in uh, April, I believe, after um, your, I guess we call it mentor, Guy Callen uh, stepped aside. Um, you'd been the assistant for years, so it's not like you weren't familiar with the team or unfamiliar with the program or running things, but how different has it been being the head coach? You know, in, in some ways it has been, in other ways it, it has not. Um, you know, again, I've been here, it's my 10th year at Carleton. Um, you know, and I, I'm just so appreciative of, of number one, being here and being at a great institution like Carleton, you know, um, the type of the quality of, of kids, student athletes that we have and the families that they come from, all of that. And, you know, yes, to to have coached with Guy, you know, for nine years was a tremendous experience. And, you know, I'm very appreciative of him and you know, the responsibility that he had given me over the years, uh, which I think in some ways had, had make the, has made the transition a little bit, a little bit easier. And, you know, I think, you know, just being honest too, that quite frankly, the mistakes that I was able to make as an assistant and to be able to learn from those, um, you know, I think has, has certainly helped me, you know, in my role this year. And, and, and let's make no, no mistake about it. I mean, I, I recognize, um, you know, the uniqueness and how fortunate I am to, in my first year as a head coach to have the type of talented and experienced team that we have, which, you know, I've kind of jokingly say my job is, is to basically stay out of the way and not mess it up. And, um, and it's, 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 uh, you know, that's a tribute to the, to the, you know, the team, the student athletes and the players that we have. I don't usually dive in too deep on assistance, but I did get a kick out of the fact that a, they're both first years, obviously, as you take over your program, but first you have Tyler Gray, who is familiar with Mayak. He was one of the best shooters at Gustavus Adolphus, during his career, but he just got done working at St. Thomas, interesting enough, in an administrative role, and he chose to come back into Division Three. I'm saying that my way. Uh, we also have Steve uh, Knutson jump, jump back in. And many would remember him in his playing career, also one of the better shooters uh, the Mayak has ever seen. you got two guys who certainly know the conference well and also knew how to shoot pretty well. Well, I'm not going to win any games of horse that we're going to play as a staff because those guys can all shoot a lot better than I than I can. But uh, no, those that was a big thing for me was you know just really who you know who is going to be around our program on a day to day basis. And those two, I, I could not ask for more high character and just quality people uh, to be around. Tyler Tyler Gray, I recruited Tyler. Um, you know, my first year as an assistant back at Augsburg University way back. You know, I guess almost 15 years ago, I, I recruited Tyler and I've stayed in touch and have known him. And and, you know, when he approached me about the possibility of, of getting into coaching and doing this, you know, I, he is about the relationships. He is about people and, you know, providing a great experience for, for our players, our student athletes on a daily basis. And so, um, you know, thrilled to be able to have him. And, and um, you know, it was really neat, you know, once he made the decision to come here and was hired and and people that had worked with him at St. Thomas and at other schools and, you know, and just their, their feedback about you got a great person in Tyler. And, and that's exactly, absolutely true. 
Steve, Steve is a great friend. He's, he's an alum. He's also, uh, you know, we have two, our, our boys um, are the same age and he's the, he's the fourth grade, uh, uh, Northfield uh, fourth grade Maroon coach as well, in addition to his coaching um, here at Carlton. And so having him a part of our program is, is, uh, is terrific too, just to have an alum who, you know, has the familiarity about Carlton and it can really resonate with our student athletes too, as far as going through the Carlton academic experience, balancing the athletics, all of that. You know, very fortunate to have both of, both of those guys as such an integral part of our program. Uh, I know you're coming off of the win over uh, St. Olaf to keep the GOAT trophy, which I know is muy importante, but you've got big games ahead. You've got Bethel and St. John's at home before then hitting the road, play McAllister, Concordia, Moorhead, and St. Scholastica. Obviously, St. John's is huge. McAllister is huge. But the other ones can trip you up as well. What's the message to the team coming off of the GOAT win and heading into the game against Bethel coming up? Bethel is playing as well offensively. as uh, I, I think statistically their offensive efficiency in the last five games is is at or near the top, certainly in the conference, but in the country. They're really, really playing well offensively right now. Um, so that's going to be a very difficult game. And, you know, you, you said this earlier, we played them, we opened with them. That was our first game of the, of the year, which, you know, great, great scheduling by the, the first year head coach to have your first game as a, as a conference game, uh, from that standpoint too. But, um, you know, that, that'll be a tough task. And, you know, again, the analogy that we've used, you know, with our team is, um, you know, my family is a big golf family and, you know, we've kind of approached it like a you know a round of golf or you know a you know uh, maybe a 72 hole tournament or something like that where you know we 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 put ourselves in a good position but you know the most important shot is your next shot and you know listen there's there's you know double bogey is 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 never more than <laughs> one swing away and so yeah. uh, we we got to take care of of what's in front of us with with Bethel it'll it's senior day um, so it'll be you know, exciting day, but it'll be it'll be a very challenging game and and uh, one that uh, we'll have to play really well in. Sure, I can understand that entirely. Well, good luck the rest of the way. Obviously, we're all talking about you guys and and watching and having fun, uh, but it's great to see uh, the Maya kind of get shook up a little bit, as it were, as well. Uh, we wish you all the best and and look forward to talking about the nights uh, not only the hours of the season, but I have a feeling for a few years to come as well. As always, we give the guests the final word. Any final thoughts you'd like to share with those who may be tuned in? No, thank you very much, Dave. I appreciate appreciate your you know your time and just giving us the opportunity to do this. It's it's uh it's really been a, a fun year and a special year, and and I'm just so happy for you know the players that we have in our program for them to be able to experience what they have so far, uh, and the parents and the families and, and everybody from that standpoint. So thank you very much for the opportunity. Well, thank you for coming on. It's a lot easier when coaches are willing to, and we appreciate it very much. Take care, and we'll talk soon. All right, thank you, Dave. Ryan Kershaw joining us on the Huddle Hoops Hotline. Appreciate him taking the time again. Bethel on the road coming up here on Saturday, followed by St. John's. I'm sorry, at home. Bethel and then St. John's. Then on the road on the 11th against McAllister, Concordia Moorhead, St. Scholastica, and then conference tournament time. Great, great to talk Carrollton. By the way, I applied to Carrollton when I was a high school student, and I was rightly told, no, thank you. There was no chance I was getting to Carrollton. Really good academics there. We'll take a break. When we come back, we'll uh, go out to, was it Wash U? I think we're heading to Wash U next, if memory serves. Uh, we are. That's where we're headed. Pat Yuckum. Well, Pat Yuckum. Pat, you know who I mean. He'll join us to talk about his Bears and the UAA. You're listening to Hoops Show presented by D3Hoops.com. Back with more after this. Coach of the Year, Administrator of the Year, All-America Team, Wade Trophy. The WBCA doesn't just honor coaches, but players, 
administrators, and much more. The WBCA strives to honor those who have contributed to the advancement of women's basketball. Celebrate the present, honor the past, look to the future. For the love of the game, but for those of us who are Division III student athletes, it's more than that, a lot more. Sure, the game is important, but as we work so hard to build both mind and body, it's more about team. That is why NCAA Division III teamed up with Special Olympics, and in giving the gift of sport to those for whom it seemed an impossible dream, we are working to make this a better world. Help us keep that dream alive. You can make a difference. It's on us. It's on all of us. And it's time to act now. It's on us to start the change. It's on us to be the change. It's on us. It's on Division Three. It's on all of us to stop sexual assault. I learned a lot of valuable lessons playing college football. I never thought about the health benefits of exercise until I actually started to talk to coaches in college. It's not only just for performance, it's for life. My coaches instilled the importance of well-being, not only building up strength, mental health, getting enough sleep, eating properly, it's all what it is to be healthy. I decided that I want to go on a personal trainer and share my knowledge that I obtained in college about physical and mental well-being. These are your teams, your players, your community of fans. This is where they play, where they practice, where you cheer at every meet, every event, every game. Your community is passionate, dedicated, supportive. You know the tension of a close game and the thrill of the win. So while you're cheering, keep an eye out for anything out of the ordinary. If you see something suspicious, say something to local authorities. I used to never really talk, ever. Uh, I was afraid if I said something wrong, everyone would laugh at me. But then I started to play golf with Special Olympics. It helped me to find my voice. And now everyone else is speechless. We've got more schools. Oh. 
Cut that off. How are you guys doing? We're back on the marathon as we enter our number two of the show. <laughs> pacing ourselves. Uh, Ryan Kershaw asked us earlier how, we, how we're pacing, how pacing, how we're getting through the show. Admittedly, I have a, a soft drink, which I don't usually drink all that often, but it's got a little bit of caffeine in it. When it wears out, we've got the, uh, the coffee sitting right here, which you shouldn't drink too late in the day. And we still got the agua going as well. Uh, at some point, we'll change that out for some other stuff. In the meantime, we're at least boring enough that our puppy has fallen asleep out of my feet. The good thing about that is I don't have to worry about him. The bad thing is apparently my show is that boring. You listen to Hoopsville. The marathon is rolling on in this ninth season. If you've got questions for us, tweet us at D3Hoopsville and hashtag Hoopsville. We'll waste very little time and get right back to the Hoopsville hotline and talk to the WashU Bears because I'm dying to know from Pat Yuckum, what is going on in the UAA, sir? Uh <laughs> Uh, that I'll start with the tough one. <laughs> How are you, sir? I'm great. And, and Dave, thank you. Uh, pleasure being on with you. And uh, I don't know if you can see my, my hair was, is a lot grayer than it was about, uh, three and a half, four weeks ago. <laughs> I'm aging. I'm aging right before my own eyes. Uh, I get I it. Like. I get uh, it. Listen, we always know the, the, we'll talk about the team in a moment, but I got to talk about this conference because we always know the UAA is tough. We, we, we've never had the illusion that the UAA is not one of the toughest conferences in the, conf, in, in the country, in Division Three especially. And, and we knew it was, there were going to be some good teams this year. Uh, we knew from the get-go this was not going to be a, a, um, a solo effort or two teams at the top walking away with it. But, man, talk about beating up people. Uh, you all are beating each other up. You're in a two. You're in a tie with Emory right now. Both of you are fourteen and four. Both of you are five and two in conference. A game behind is Case Western and Rochester at four and three in conference play, along with Carnegie Mellon. I should point out, and Brandeis is lurking at three and four. And Chicago and NYU may not look like they got good records, but we know they can trip some people up, as Chicago proved uh, recently. What, what I know you you expect anything on any given night in this conference, but it's got to be a little bit more crazy this year. Yeah, we anticipated it was going to be a really good league. We we have an interesting balance. We have some really talented, um, you know, older players in our league, guys that are, you know, maybe taking advantage of that extra COVID year. Yeah. And then we have really impressive freshmen across the board uh, in every program. I mean, really talented young players who are making an impact. So you've got that blend of, of veteran experience, guys that have been through the battles, in, in our grizzled, and then you've got really talented, impactful young players up and down the league. And, you know, I um, there's no result that that's surprising. I mean, I told our staff, like, when we, you know, get done with the game and you like, inevitably, like, what happened in the other games, you're never, you know, whatever outcome, you're not surprised by it because you know, we just feel like, uh, you know, everyone has the ability on any given night to beat anybody else. And it makes it harrowing as a coach, but awful fun uh, for the fans. We're at the pivot point in the UAA conference uh, a little later than everybody else because, reminder, everybody, UAA doesn't play a conference tournament. The only one in the entire NCAA doesn't have a conference tournament. We know when the sponsorship money comes, though, Pat, that uh, you clearly will have the Oscar Mayer uh, UAA conference championship tournament at some point down the road. But uh, in the meantime, the interesting thing about the UAA is when you pivot, you repeat immediately who you just saw I, I there are pluses to that there are negatives to that i'm not a huge fan but i digress you just got done 
um, seeing, sorry, because I don't want to forget because the conference schedule is a blur in my head. You just got done seeing Rochester and Emory on the road. Now you're sitting at home seeing Rochester and Emory this weekend. Can you even rely on what you saw this past weekend, or do you have to start from scratch to some degree? Yeah, it is. It is an interesting aspect of this league. Um, certainly, is you know you have you're prepping for two teams over the course of two full weeks, and then you have that feedback from you know the first set of games, and inevitably you know some things you know that you tried to go well and work, and some things don't. And there's a little bit of a chess match, uh, I think, aspect to it, right? I mean, you're inevitably looking at, you know, what adjustments are we going to make? What anticipate adjustments that <laughs> your opponents are going to make? And, you know, in the end, you're, you're, you know, I think all of our programs, um, you know, we're all pretty true to kind of who we are. I don't think there's any going to be dramatic shifts or changes. It's going to be on the margins and, and little things that usually, you know, <clears throat> aren't so much even uh, – technical tactical it's just you know winning the battle the rebounding or, or just kind of those core things that usually you know impact you know winning and losing so it, but it is an interesting uh you can play some mind games with yourself for sure as you as you see the same two teams over uh you know back-to-back weekends yeah and compare what you just did with them let's back up a little bit and i'll get back into the final last weekend but uh the previous weekend was not great on the road you actually went two back-to-back weekends on the road you headed out to uh, the Ohio and Pennsylvania area and took on uh, Case Western and Carnegie. Case Western beat you by 15, 90 to 75. Carnegie beat you the next day, 71, or two days later, 71, 58. So it was even more impressive that you head in the road and get the wins over Rochester and Emory. What happened on the previous weekend? Well, I'd like to say it was coaching, but I don't think it was. Uh... <laughs> Most would. <laughs> um, you know, I, I think... First of all, a testament to, you know, strength of Case. I thought Case and Carnegie um, the week, two weekends ago were, were exceptional. Um, you know, we got blitzed. We gave up 90 points at Case. We don't give up 90 ever. And uh, they just, um, you know, they were, they were uh, you know, I think they're a little desperate. They were one and two, you know, and, and we were three and oh and coming in and, and, you know, maybe feeling a little bit too good about ourselves. And, you know, Fair. we got humbled, uh, you know, <laughs> that night and then that whole weekend. And, um, you know, so I, I think, you know, with our group, you know, we've got a, a really high character group of guys and took that very personally. Ooh. And, you know, um, we came in the following week and, you know, owned it and um, got better. And then, you know, had to go back out and play two really good teams at their place. And, you know, so obviously proud of our guys for, for um, you know, showing the growth and taking it on the road and, we just have to continue to stay with that process now. We, you know, we talked about we have to approach every day like we lost our last game because I think when yeah. you when you come with that mindset, you know, you're receptive um, and you're just you know with the, with the quality of teams and the players. If you're a little bit off or or not sharp, it's gonna be it's gonna be a tough night. You held Rochester to 47 points in their place. I know their big stud is back and maybe not at 100%, but you still held them to 47 points. Uh, yeah, that's the opposite of the 90-point output you allowed the previous weekend. Did Was it just an understanding that defense had to be played? Yeah, that's where it starts for us, for sure. Um, you know, and that's, that's I think, part of the identity of our group. And, uh, you know, again, they, they take getting scored on personally. And, you know, we, we got exposed a little bit that weekend before. Um, you know, and, and we didn't put up a whole lot of resistance. So, 
Um, you know, there was some things certainly, and I, and I, you know, I didn't put our guys in some great positions in, in that that weekend before. So I, you know, I didn't help ours help us uh, as enough. But uh, our guys, you know, just competed, and you know, I think sometimes it's, you know, um, a matter of Rochester had some pretty good shots and pretty good looks, and and, and didn't knock them down, and. And, you know, that, that's that's basketball. You know, sometimes you can do everything right and you don't make shots. So, um, you know, I thought we, we had a good defensive effort, but we're going to have to be better this Friday for sure if we're going to uh, have a repeat. You know, I, yeah, the cat's out of the bag, right? Everyone knows what you're going you're gonna to likely do. Talk to me a little bit about the uh, team this season. Uh, we expected good things. No surprise that you're having a good season, but t- tell me a little bit about how this team is and how it clicks. Yeah, it's a you know we're a, a an interesting mix again. We have um, you know we've got some veterans. We have a, a fifth year senior Charlie Jacob, uh, who is um, you know really kind of a you know not been been a core piece for a while for us and mature and a, and a, and a great leader and just give brings poise. And then we have a you know we're playing a, a bunch of uh, you know some young guys, some freshmen and sophomores, and in really key critical roles. And so you know. Um, you know, just transition to college basketball is is a big deal, or just to college for first years, and then to be thrust into some you know some pretty critical roles. Um, um, you know, I'm, I've been really impressed with their growth, and you know, I think the exciting thing about our group is we're still. I feel like I'm still learning a little bit about our guys and how to, you know, uh, help them and put them in some better positions. And they're, um, you know, they're they're a great group. They love they they show up every day, hungry, ready to ready to go, ready to watch film, ready to get you know get to the work we have to do. So um, it's kind of a nice blend when you have that kind of precociousness of young players and maybe a little naivete, right? Along <laughs> with like, you know, just guys who've been through the, the battles and, and sure. are grizzled. So I think that's a good, that could be a really, you know, really good combination. That's kind of where we're, we're finding ourselves. But, um, you know, we, we're well aware that we're, we're not fully formed. Um, and that's the exciting thing that can we, over the next, you know, today and practice and, each day, can we get a little bit better and and hopefully see where that takes us uh, down the stretch? Uh, started by with Drake uh, Kinesvater. Uh, I hope I'm saying Drake's last name right. Uh, nearly 14 points a game, 5.2 rebounds, shoots 62 percent from the floor and 47 percent when he does take a three pointer. Uh, Charlie Jacobs, second on the team at 13 and a half, 10.4 both for Hayden Doyle and Will uh, Grudzinski. Those are the big four because then there's a bit of a drop off before you get to Yogi Olaf who at six points a game and Jake Wolf at, at six points a game, but those four are certainly a big key and they do they all do little different things than the other, right? Yes, they do. Um, and and they're we're we're um, it's pretty spread out with this group. You know we're you know you always coaches always like when you have those the balance, right? We've had a we've had a terrific player here for the last you know four years and jack nolan and uh you kind of knew you know um certain situations the ball was going to go through him and (laughs) and uh so that's been an it's been it's been you know certainly as a coach you love to have the guy that can just you know make the play and and take the tough shot uh we have that with this group it's been a fun discovery to figure out like who that's going to be and where they're best suited and for them to kind of evolve as players um in those situations and i think and they're doing a really good job of late of of just making each other better and kind of playing to their strengths and, and making guys better and communicating on the floor. And, um, you know, like you hope as the, as they play together more and figure things out that we, you know, we're more efficient and, um, 
you know, we continue to, you know, to hopefully uh, be balanced and you never know on any given night, you know, who's going to be kind of the lead guy. You talk about Nolan and obviously how everything went through that and the team had to adjust without him. But to be honest, uh, Hardy was a big part of this team as well, not only for what he contributed when he was able and, and 100% or even 75%, darn it, he was still darn good. But the storyline and everything that went with that and the emotions and then him getting a chance to play in the final game and then unfortunately what everyone probably knew was coming, his eventual death in the offseason, you guys were on an emotional roller coaster through all of that, you know, through most of last season, into the offseason. Is it still driving the team? Is there still a bit of, of Hardy around that – He's either motivating or gives everyone a little bit of moment of solace? Absolutely. Uh, I don't think a day goes by that um, in some way um, we don't either see or feel his presence. And it it comes in various ways. You know, Um, it could be throughout the year, you know, he he played in, in a majority of the games last year and we're coming up on a one-year anniversary. He scored 28 points mm. um, about one year ago this week it was, um, in a Sunday game versus Case Western. Yep. And, you know, he at that point, he was really physically struggling. He was I, not eating solid food anymore. And, mm. um, you know, just to watch, you know, um, him do that and, and, and do it, you know, physically depleted but still – you know, a testament to his just toughness and guile and um, passion. It, it's what got him out of bed every day. And uh, so we still, we honor him when we, you know, we're watching film and there's a clip from last year and inevitably he's in it and he's doing something right. And we, we you know, <laughs> we rest in power 12 and then like, hey, watch what, he, you know, here, here's Justin teaching us still. And so there's instances like that. Um, there is, uh, you know, just quotes or things he's said that resonate that we bring back. And so uh, our therapy is to, to, to continue to talk about it, to, to uh, we certainly feel, um, you know, he's in our hearts, but it, it's very much, you know, in front of us. And um, again, it's just a, um, it's been an honor and privilege, you know, to, to be, to, to witness what we witnessed and to continue to have that legacy, his legacy. It's only growing. Um, it's, it's uh, we're just at the beginning stages. Sorry, even emotional for me, and I was up way on the outside of that. I, I am curious, though, and I know his presence is still there, but there was so much going on around his story last year. Media attention, people on campus, the constant um, what's the latest, how's he doing, and all that. Obviously, this year, there's none of that, or to some degree. There isn't that attention. There isn't that spotlight. Has that been... And I don't mean this as a negative, but has it been tough to to readjust back to what is more normal, while at the same time still honoring him and trying not not trying not to forget, but making sure he's still a part of the program in a way he was last year. Yeah, that's a good question, and I haven't really even contemplated, um, you know, that. Um, yeah, it's it's certainly last year was was so unique in so many ways, and I, I think we were just. And we try to always be this way, like just like be in the moment, be where your feet are. And I think we all of us knew what a powerful thing we were experiencing in going through last year collectively. And, um, you know, our group has has 
you know, like we've had to learn to deal with, with loss in, in, in a, in a very, um, um, I mean, painful way, right? It's loss is painful when it's that age, when it's, um, it's so personal. Um, but yet it's, it's, it's the, we talk a lot about like the dichotomy, but yet it's beautiful. Like we learned what true love, what, what it means and what it means to be, to rally and what it means to be, you know, we, you know, be a, a, a great teammate and the support system, like the thing that I think college athletes don't realize and none of us did when we were going through it is it really, it's less about, I mean, you love the game and you love the play, but when you, when you're done, when your eligibility is over, nobody really cares who was the starter all conference or anything. It's, it's, you have these shared experiences and you have a support system the rest of your life. And I think that realization has been made for our, our players, you know, in the moment, <laughs> you know, they didn't have to, you know, didn't come five, 10, 20 years later at weddings or stuff like that. When it, when you kind of dons and you're like, Oh, this is what it really is about. Yeah. We, they learned that those lessons were upfront for us, you know, in the moment and, sure. uh, and they continue, they continue to be in i uh, I'm, I'm really appreciative to, for the, the, um, the quality of guys we have um, and that we're still, again, we're supporting one another because it's still, you know, it's still, as you mentioned, it's, it's, this is fresh and raw and, you know, we're supporting uh, Justin's family, um, his two siblings, uh, one, his sister actually, ironically, is a, uh, getting her master's degree through Wash at Wash U. She's in St. Louis. So they're, they're present mom and, you know, Bob and Karen are at our games and, and uh, we just keep wrapping our, our arms around them and, and they around us. And, and that's, we're just truly trying to just kind of one step at a time. Sure. I can totally understand. Speaking of one step at a time, again, you've got, you know, the rematch coming up on this weekend with Rochester and Emory at home. The conference race, as we said, is only halfway through. You've got the rest of the schedule after that. What What's the message to the team? What's the conversation like about not only one game at a time, which we know it is always about, but also trying to, to understand the dynamics at play, trying to stay at the top of the conference and get that AQ? Yeah, we, we try not to get too caught up in the standings or rankings or anything like that. We realize how quickly you could be humbled, and we experienced that very, very emphatically uh, very recently. Um, you know, before we got, I think the night before we played uh, Chicago in our first conference game, you know, we're huddling up after practice, and I'm, you know, like, hey, this is exciting. We're starting conference play. We're going to play a, a really good team. This is, a, you know, and I stopped myself, guys, I'm going to be saying this 14 times, you know, th- we're, we're, this is going to feel like you're playing 14 NCAA tournament games, you know, because essentially without a conference tournament, it's what it is. It's 14 yeah. tournament games. And, you know, we have, you know, not everyone may go our way and let's try to be our best and get better. And regardless of the result, learn from it and apply it. And then when we get through number 14, we'll count them up and we'll see, you know, where it stands. And, you know, we're excited about, you know, the possibilities, but just, you know, you just can't get too far ahead. And, um, you know, we're going to have um, play a really, really, really good Rochester team. And then we're going to play a really good Emory team on Sunday. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll hopefully we got to be better than we were last weekend. And, and I know they'll be better and it'll be kind of classic, uh, you know, UAA basketball. And unless something's changed, you won't be playing on a new NYU court. No, <laughs> no, no. <laughs> That's true. We're 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 uh, 
I'm not sure where to, we're playing. <laughs> yeah, they're exactly. I, I suspect Brooklyn, but who knows at this point uh, where that may end up. Hey, Coach, appreciate the time, as always. Thanks for the insight, the understanding, and, and, and all of that. Uh, great to understand the team, as always. But also the, the, under, the dynamic that you've all gone through. It's, it's been helpful to understand more, and I appreciate you being so uh, uh, open about it and let us kind of get some insight on it. As always, we get the coach, though, the final word. Any final thoughts you'd like to share with those tuned in? Dave, I'm just going to shout out you and, and all the, the crew behind uh, D3 Sports, and particular D3 Hoops, what you guys continue to do to promote our sport uh, and our level and passion. The passion is is just uh, phenomenal, and I'm just excited to be a small part of it. So appreciate everything that you guys are doing. Keep up the great work, and uh, really excited for the last, uh, you know, the culminating part of, of the basketball season. It's going to be a lot of fun. Well, thanks for the kind words. Appreciate it. It's an illness, really. Uh, we, we clearly bought, bought into something we shouldn't have, but we did, <laughs> and it's a passion now. So, hey, thanks for the time. Good luck the rest of the way. Looking forward to watching the games, and we'll talk to you soon. Sounds good. Thanks, Dave. Pat Yuckum joining us on the Huddle Hoopsville Hotline. Again, Rochester and Emory at home, uh, 8.30 uh, Eastern, 1 o'clock uh, on Sunday, 7.30, 12 o'clock. That's how that works. Uh, really good team, really good race. UAA race is going to be fun all the way to the end. We'll take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about women's basketball and declining numbers. I know, weird thing to talk about. But believe it or not, in high school, there's not a lot of girls playing basketball anymore. We'll talk about why with an alum of D3 basketball. Lindsey Atkinson from the NFHS will join us to talk about it all. You listen to Hoops, so presented by D3Hoops.com from the WBCA and ABC studios. So much more ahead on the ninth annual Hoopsville Marathon. These are your teams, your players, your community of fans. This is where they play, where they practice, where you cheer at every meet, every event, every game. Your community is passionate, dedicated, supportive. You know the tension of a close game and the thrill of the win. So while you're cheering, keep an eye out for anything out of the ordinary. If you see something suspicious, say something to local authorities. used to never really talk, ever. Uh, I was afraid if I said something wrong, everyone would laugh at me. But then I started to play golf with Special Olympics. It helped me to find my voice. And now everyone else is speechless. We've got more schools than Division One, more fans than Division Two, and more upsets than March Madness. There's 800 programs with over 11,000 games leading to two national championships. And we've been covering it all for over a decade. From Eastern to Occidental, from Puget Sound to Piedmont, from Southwestern to the University of New England, and from Hope to Calvin. Nobody covers Division Three basketball like we do. We're D3Hoops.com at www.d3hoops.com. I learned a lot of valuable lessons playing college football. 
I never thought about the health benefits of exercise until I actually started to talk to coaches in college. It's not only just for performance, it's for life. My coaches instilled the importance of well-being, not only building up strength, mental health, getting enough sleep, eating properly, it's all what it is to be healthy. I decided that I want to go on a personal trainer and share my knowledge that I obtained in college about physical and mental well-being. Welcome back to Hoopsville, everybody. As we continue on the marathon show, we are in hour number two. We plan to be going for... About nine hours today, I think, is the plan. We could go longer than that. The happy hour starts at 8 and sometimes lasts a lot longer than that. If you got questions for us, tweet us at D3Hoopsville or hashtag Hoopsville. You can email us, hoopsville at D3sports.com. You can also join us on our simulcast either on YouTube or on Facebook and ask questions there. Um, or just enjoy the show from wherever you are. One person was uh, getting out, go, going out and getting his juice while enjoying the show. Some others I know are working out while listening to the show. Uh, just Turn off the picture. You don't need to look at this while you're working out, or maybe you do. Um, one interesting topic that I picked up on, we've had a number of, of, of women's games this season called off. And at first you're like, well, maybe this is just a ramification, or the, or the still the ramification, I should say, of the COVID situation. And teams are, are having enough positive tests in a small outbreak or something. They don't have enough players. But then when, Co- when UConn had the same thing happen due to illnesses and injuries and we're down to less than seven scholarship players, I decided to dive in a little closer and see what what was I missing. And I noticed, like teams with Rose Holman, that their rosters were really small. I'm used to that. Um, Bryn Maher called off a game last night against Haverford. Now the speculation is it has to do with something a little bit more team-orientated than it has to do with numbers. But Bryn Maher has been known to call off games, including seasons, due to that. William Peace just called off their season. SUNY Purchase called off their season. They don't have enough numbers on their women's team. Justify... uh, Juxtaposed to that, you got a team like Mary Harden Baylor, as we talked about earlier, 25 to 30 on their roster. So you're probably wondering, well, clearly they're not doing enough recruiting. Did you know that girls' basketball in the high school level is down 20% or thereabouts in terms of those who are playing the sport? In other words, there aren't nearly as enough girls who are becoming women's basketball players at the college level, let alone Division Three. And furthermore, we've got the enrollment cliff supposedly coming for 2025 or 2026, where enrollment in general will take a decline. So what's this all mean? I wanted to dive in a little bit about it, try to figure out what it means and what it what what we should know about it. Not an easy thing to definitely dive into and try and understand, but one person was willing enough to come on the show and talk about it. And joining us on the Blue Frame Techno, or I should say the Huddle Hop, Hoopsville Hotline. I got to remember the new new sponsor, Hoopsville Hotlines, presented by Huddle, is uh, Lindsay Atkinson. We'll dive into this later. She's actually a Division Three student athlete herself, but Lindsay is the director of sports for the NFHS. Correct me if I'm not correct. National Federation of State High Schools, correct? State High School Associations. Ah, okay. Yeah, yeah. I, I, there's actually I, there's more there's more words than there are letters in the acronym. So I knew I knew that, and I knew I'd leave one or two of them off. Um, thanks for joining me, Lindsay, uh, especially about this topic. Really appreciate it. That's what blew my mind. I finally found this article that I somehow had missed. That um, stated it's dead nineteen percent, but I was just kind of doing math because its survey was from a few years ago. Uh, we're looking at it a few years later. Twenty percent decline in those playing high school basketball on the girls' side. And there's a lot of places that's being pointed as the cause, right? Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, it's been obviously on our radar for the last, um, I don't know, about five years. About five years ago, 
um, volleyball past basketball uh, at the high school space. And a lot of people attributed that to really just the growth of, of volleyball itself. Um, so volleyball started climbing and now this is the first year girls soccer has surpassed basketball. So huh. basketball is really, you've got track and field at the top and then you have volleyball, soccer, then girls basketball, which, you know, five, six years ago, basketball was the number one team sport being played. Uh, a pretty drastic decline in participation. So obviously we have the data and now it's time to start thinking about the whys. Why is this happening um, besides the growth of other opportunities? Uh, I'm putting up a, a full screen now that you've helped give us just kind of give everybody a sense of the numbers. But for those who might be listening to the podcast in 2015-16, uh, a little over 429,000 uh, girls were playing basketball. The next year it went up by 1,000, but then the next year it dropped precipitously to 412,000. Uh, the next year under 400,000. And then last year, or I'm sorry, in 21-22, it was down to three uh, 370,000 uh, a little bit more. And, and the school numbers really haven't changed. If anything, they may have gone down a little bit, but certainly not to the point of, of dropping that number, Lindsay. It's it's a shocking it's a shocking difference. And and I get that soccer's gone up, but I don't consider that necessarily a competition of basketball. Volleyball is certainly a direct competition, yeah. interestingly enough. We're coming up on President's Day weekend, and from what I've learned now, that's a kind of a big weekend in terms of volleyball. And it's always been February's always been traditionally a big time for high school basketball. On top of that, how what's going on with this clash of the two sports? Yeah, I mean, definitely when you look at the types of athlete that play those sports, there's always traditionally been a lot of crossover. Um, we have seen the trend coming of sports specialization from the boys' side down to the girls' side. It's just, it's the reality of, of what uh, the choices parents are making, that athletes are making at the club level. And when they're making those choices, you know, especially when it's that girl that plays both sports, uh, you know, we found some, uh, you know, I talked to you yesterday about some of the scheduling conflicts. So when there are states that have a lot of their girls games on a Saturday, that limits their ability to play club volleyball at the same time. So now we're forcing student athletes to choose. Um, so that's one scenario. And so what there is a push that we're trying to promote the equity in scheduling and allowing girls and boys to play those double headers on Friday nights and start eliminating a lot of those Saturday competitions to see if that helps stem some of the loss of these student athletes from number one, having to make that decision of specialization, because we know not only is it, you know, the one sport going to lose the athlete, but we also know that from a medical standpoint, from a health and safety, from an overall student athlete standpoint, that playing multiple sports is beneficial to the student athlete, to the student body, and so maybe there's some things that we can do there. You're right. Volleyball is a direct competitor, as well as the growth of girls wrestling. That's another one to kind of keep an eye on. Yeah, good call. More and more states are sanctioning girls wrestling, which is great. Like, I'm glad that we're doing that, uh, providing an opportunity for young ladies to wrestle. But that is another winter sport in most cases where now you are going to have a direct competition um, between some athletes that play basketball and you know, there's good to all this when you think about the Title IX being 50 years old and and now we have all these opportunities. So that's the good thing is that student athletes have all these opportunities. But it is a concern when you look at a specific sport like basketball and uh, eyebrows raised in terms of this drop and are there other things that we can do to help support it. Because I can see how it would affect especially the Division Three level. Um, because as you mentioned, the number of schools are still producing teams 
So that means we have varsity level teams, but we probably aren't able to support our JV and our freshmen. And many of those are where division three athletes might start. They're going to end being, you know, contributors on a varsity level to high level play at division three, but they're probably going to start, you know, their entry level is going to be maybe at a JV level for freshman year and then work their way up. And if those aren't opportunities aren't there, they're going to choose something else where they can be active. Well, and, and even larger point with that, enrollment cliff supposedly coming the enrollment numbers that keep colleges open in the first place is so key and when you get 15 on average sometimes 20 players on a basketball team those are significant budget line numbers for those universities um it, we talk about the and obviously wrestling i want to just point out dear friends of ours their daughter wrestles and i think it's awesome and, and more division three schools are adding it as a sport outstanding but back to the 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 specialization versus multiple sport thing we battle that and we don't battle that in this house i've always been a proponent of multiple sports i played countless sports when i was in in when i was a youth and and three minimum when i was in in high school sometimes more than that it, it made me better i thought and i've heard more and more coaches especially at the college level say stop the specialization I blame personally, and I've had many a conversation with others about this, that it's the clubs, it's the money, it's the financial pay-to-play model that came out of soccer that is driving a lot of that, that there's these entities that want to make money on sport. They've made these meccas for places to play games, and if they're going to play it, well, let's play it all year round. Let's not just play soccer in, in the fall or in some places in the spring. Let's play it in the middle of summer. Let's play it if we got good enough weather in the middle of winter. Is there a way then to still have those two entities, though, coexist? That they, I've, I, I paraphrase a story I just heard from a club guy that I respect quite a bit. High school coach found out that there was an event coming up for soccer on a particular weekend and made a mandatory practice for the basketball team, even though it was you know on that weekend, which would never have happened normally. There's this battle. There's this butting ahead. Can mm-hmm. can they can can they coexist? Can can we find a way that games and everything can come together if those student athletes want to do multiple things? That's a great question. Um, I also work with the sport of volleyball, and so I'm the director of sports for both basketball and volleyball. And you're torn. I get it. <laughs> yeah. So the club, the the that mod. I mean, for both your AAU coach and your your high school basketball coach, your club volleyball coach and your high school volleyball coach. Yes, it's been a, a, a battle and we've talked about in both sports situations, because when you look at the, the the calendar, the high school calendar for winter sports, it's significantly longer, especially basketball. But obviously you have the holidays in there, but for it is has more weeks than typically your spring and your fall sports. So there was talk about do we shorten the basketball season and give these kids right the mental health this break. But then the question was, is a you really going to stay off of those dates? So, you know, no. this is to take that. <laughs> exactly. If high schools are going to commit to a shorter season, then there has to be an agreement that the AAU, the clubs, whatever, are also going to, if we're really going to invest in the true interests of the student athlete. Um, and But you're right. Until those two groups really want to coexist and really create an environment that's best for the student athlete, we're going to struggle in this area. Talk a little to me about the Varsity Knights thing. Um, the scheduling, it, I, this one I understand, but I don't fully, I, 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 but I'm intrigued by it. Yeah, no, we had a, actually to give credit to the, the junior NBA and WNBA. They hosted a summit in September to really talk about this topic. And they brought together AAU programs, high school programs, NCAA, the NFHS. We were all there to discuss this, this exact topic. 
losing athletes. What are the solu- what are the problems? What are the solutions? And one of them I thought was interesting. This Tucker Neal out of Ohio uh, took our our data, our participation data, and then he called around to every state association to find out if they play on bar- on Friday nights, if the girls get the opportunity to play these varsity doubleheaders on Friday nights. And so what he found was statistically the states that are supporting this equitable scheduling where they're doing both their boys and girls varsity games on a Friday night and eliminating those Saturday afternoon competitions, they are actually seeing a growth in, in, in participation. The states that continue to not really balance the equity in terms of scheduling are also are seeing more significant loss in the student athlete and the girls on the girls side. Um, so there's some thought about, well, what does this do to the mentality of a, of a female, right? You have a, a comparison sport right here. They're the same sport, same rule codes at the high school level. You're allowing the whole student body to be in this Friday night atmosphere and support the boys, but the girls kind of technically get the, the secondhand Saturday afternoon when only grandma and mom and dad are going to come to the game. What is that doing? Is that going to keep me involved in the sport? I mean, I don't think this is the number one reason why girls aren't playing, but it's something to think about. Are we creating an environment that makes it exciting for a female athlete to want to compete in front of her peers, in front of that student section that comes out for the boys games on a Friday night? So it's something that, you know, it's interesting when you apply data and kind of find out some trends and and to see if we can encourage more athletic departments to schedule Friday, Friday night doubleheaders and see if it does change for the better. Well, and Lindsay, to some degree, you could get to the scheduling issue where if you want to play volleyball and basketball and you know your basketball games are just during the week, and I, I know my son's school, yeah. their games are only during the week. They don't have any weekend games. It allowed him, for example, in soccer season, he played his, his middle school schedule in the middle of the week, but then he played for a club team on the weekend because that's the only time they played. Well, you could play your basketball games in the middle of the week and then join your club team on the weekend to play volleyball. It, it, there, there's a, there seems to be a win-win in, in all of that. You're right. I, I mean, not only opening up the weekends for, you know, now we don't have to make these student athletes choose between volleyball and basketball because you're going to have a lot of, I mean, athletes that are recruited, especially to the college level, to play either one of those sports are probably pretty good at the other one. Probably could yeah. be recruited or at least oh, absolutely. a contributor uh, to their team. And so you want to keep those kids involved. Uh, obviously, you don't want to make you don't want high school coaches to have to make sacrifices for the star athletes and say, well, they get special treatment. So if the schedules allow that you don't even have to build in special treatment for your athletes that are playing multiple sports at the same time, but the scheduling just works that they can, I think that could benefit the participation for some of these young ladies that, that want to play at the next level. You're, you're right. It's great that there's more athletes playing sports. It's unfortunate there's a little bit of a specialization. The, that whole mentality of playing multiple sports may come back, but it's going to take some time to get there. The scheduling would be great to maybe alleviate and fix, try and have everyone play nice with one another. But is there anything else going on that, that underneath the basketball numbers declining that you guys are aware, or is it just one of those quirks that you're still trying to figure out? No, we haven't been able to. I mean, the, the unfortunate place from, from where we are is we have access to our state associations and, and we can survey them all day long to find out participation, but it's hard to get the whys. It's yeah. hard to get to the to the parents, to the student athlete for at, at which at what point did you diverge and, and not continue with basketball? Is it youth programming? You brought up 
club, but if you think about it, the decline in just like rec league play. So where is the entry level also, where's that entry level play happening? And is that also decreasing? So there's more things we need to kind of find out before we can really tackle the issue. Um, but obviously some of the stuff that the research we've been able to do to try to encourage equitable scheduling, try to encourage these relationships between club and high school, and also kind of see that there's some positive in this in the sense that there are the overall number of females participating in high school sports continues to increase. So they're playing something, right? So we have to look at it from a holistic standpoint of they're playing sure. something, which is great. But now is there something that about basketball that we could do, maybe from a rules perspective or from you know a scheduling perspective that could help participation? So that's the next step. That's because the crazy thing about all of this comes down to the the rabid increase in interest. And I know some people might scoff at this, but of the WNBA, it is certainly mm-hmm. becoming a more interesting and, and popular sport. Women's basketball at the NCAA level, especially the D1 tournament, has certainly become more interested, more popular, more drawn. We, we know that the upcoming um, financial uh, battle for that contract could be pretty lucrative because of that interest. So we see that basket and basketball is the, the biggest number in, in Division Three, of course, in terms of sports on the women's side and across them all. Um, so we know that it's popular. So it's funny that the numbers are dropping. That That's what I find the most interesting juxtaposition here. I know, and especially when you look at like the NIL deals and the amount of True. like social media following. Uh, I, there was such a fear that with NIL that all these elite male athletes would get all the money. Um, but it's funny, the social media presence, presence how much more savvy uh, we're finding these female athletes when it comes to the promotion. Oh, yeah. And, and They're much like better at it. Yeah, so you're right. Like, you see these names are becoming household names, where when I was growing up, it was like you only had the dream, like you had Cheryl Swoops and Lisa Leslie's, and that's who you saw, but you didn't know. I mean, if they weren't on Team USA or they weren't on Tennessee or UConn, you kind of didn't know names um, because you only saw one one game, you know, that you saw the Tennessee-UConn game on TV, and that might be it. Yeah. So you're right. Like there's such there's such interest in the whole human story around some of these athletes that we hope that that can help. Uh, we hope that you know young ladies seeing those people, you know, from the social media perspective, uh, and also seeing the NBA support of them has been tremendous. So all those factors, you're right. It kind of makes you pause of like, okay, wait, I see them. Why is yeah. it not also uh, impacting this level of play? Um, I mean, it, it's nice. It'll be interesting as it continues to grow in popularity. It's nice to see soccer numbers are up um, because, again, there's another sport where it's growing in popularity. I think it would mm-hmm. be really crazy if we saw those numbers down, too. But again, I'm fascinated by it because I, it is having an impact in Division Three because we are seeing rosters that are getting smaller. There are certainly some insane rosters, as we've discussed. But still, in the general sense, rosters are getting a little bit tighter, and seeing 15 players on a bench isn't always the norm. And I'm starting to realize it's because there just aren't as many recruits out there to go after who aren't either playing another sport and want to play that sport or who are just giving up basketball altogether. Yeah, that's it's it's interesting to me to see that because obviously, I, I as you mentioned in the opening, I played Division Three at DePaul University where we had plenty of girls. I mean, many a times yeah. it was because you over recruit at Division Three because you don't know who's Absolutely. actually going to come. Yep. Um, and we would have 
you know, several girls that didn't travel uh, because we had too many girls for the roster spot, but they would come to practice every day. Uh, <laughs> so it's interesting that, that that's that the impact that it's having. It makes sense from a numbers standpoint that it would have an impact on Division Three because we're still producing elite athletes. Division One is not going to suffer yet. And it's the same thing when you think about the officials crisis. Division One is Good just point. now starting to get involved in it because it's just now trickling up to them, right? We felt it first, then Division Three, then Division Two. Yeah. So it, well, it's just it could, a slow trickle to where it actually impacts and then becomes kind of more of a story. So Good mention, because we will actually be talking about that with our two uh, D3 coordinators of officials later uh, about about how those numbers have been have been altered, especially thanks to the pandemic. Uh, you brought up DePaul. I did want to ask you uh, not to take too much of your time, but I, I, I was curious. You played back... Oh, I've forgotten already. I had it written down or misplaced. So you played in the nineties, right? Uh yeah, late nineties, early two thousands. Okay. So ninety eight to two thousand two. That's right. Uh, yep. Who, so ro- tell us the, tell us experience, coach, everything. It was amazing. I wouldn't trade it for the world playing division three, uh at a small school, small liberal arts school. Uh I'm from Indiana, so I stayed home. It was a nice kind of place. Parents and family could come out and watch and we had a really good program. Uh, a really good coach who's still there, and Chris Hoffman won several yes. Division Three Coach of the Year awards. Um, and and our senior year, we were able to make it to the Final Four, uh, which was in Terre Haute, Indiana. So it really wasn't yes. that exciting. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no major done. road trip there for you. <laughs> no. um, but you know, it's just interesting because it is. It's the sacrifices you make to play Division Three because you're not getting. You're not getting paid for it. You're not getting the big travel budgets. You're not, but at the same time, the friendships, the relationships, the connections, the experiences that you have, um, just, I wouldn't trade them for the world. And I love every bit of it and can't wait to get back to campus and and visit with coach and former teammates. And we've stayed close. So the experience, uh, like I said, it was most memorable time in my life, for sure, those four years. I have a friend completely unrelated to any of this who is a DePaul grad, and she still gets excited about that uh, Final Four trip. Um, I mean, it was a great time at DePaul Athletics, that's for sure. I mean, it's still a good time at DePaul Athletics, but yeah, that was... that she was, keeps them going every year. Yes, yeah, she does. Mean? Still in the mix, even when they're having an off year. Right. Um, yep. <laughs> and, and I don't think I don't think I'm straying too far here. I know she has gotten D1 offers. I know she has been tempted to go away and has ultimately stayed at DePaul. I know. Uh, so we're always continually surprised and uh, her, to her loyalty to DePaul. I mean, just tells you a lot about the university, too, that she would yeah. you know, want to stay and be committed to that. And it's, it's just an interesting type of athlete that you can recruit at a school like that where they're going to be dedicated, high academic standards, you're just going to get a different kind of student athlete than you would, at, you know, a bigger Division One type of of school um, yeah. as a whole person in, in the recruiting process. So, I, I mean, hats off to her and what she's been able to do, and I love that she's still there because then it makes you. It, it's just exciting to go back because there's still the connections because True. of the staff being there. Good point. Yeah, I know she was uh, in line for a job a few years back. The only reason I know that is because that school contacted me after things had changed. 
and she was staying home. Uh, and so they're like, oh, so this didn't happen. Oh, wait, what? <laughs> so, no, great for her to be there and, and obviously doing well, and it's great to chat with you about it. Uh, also, thanks so much for coming on and talking about this. I know we're just touching the tip of the iceberg in terms of this entire topic, but fascinating um, insights on it, and I think it'll be a topic of conversation when we get closer to this proverbial uh, enrollment cliff because that'll have its own factor on all of that. Um, so maybe we'll talk and reach out to you at a later date and, and chat about it. But in the meantime, thanks for coming on. We always give our guests the final word. Any final thoughts you'd like to share with those who might be tuned in? Well, I want to thank you for the opportunity for reaching out. Um, this is a topic that's dear to my heart, as I said, and, and with a group that's dear to my heart from the Division Three level. So anybody has any solutions to this problem, we are open. Uh, so we're going to continue to research. We're going to continue to dig in from our level and see what we can do to try to help the participation numbers. But obviously any suggestions that anyone out there has uh, for what we can do to make sure that the women's basketball stays healthy uh, at the high school level in division three at all levels of college and, and into the WNBA. Um, it's a great time to be a student athlete and, and want to continue that and create those opportunities for everyone. So thank you. Another any other opportunities you know that we have to work together, I'd be happy to. So appreciate uh, it. it. It was great having you. I was genuinely surprised when I got a quick response. Going sure, I'll be there. Michael, all oh, this is wonderful. Uh, thanks so much. Glad uh, we could sneak you in and and enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks again, and we'll look forward to talking to you down the road. All right, thank you. Lindsay Atkinson joining us from the NFHS. Appreciate her time. Uh, a little side note: I think the comment about rec recreation leagues uh, that's that's on there too of being some of the challenges out there. Uh, I think some of the wrecks have kind of diminished, dismissed, or dis diminished. Jeez, we're only wrapping up hour two here, folks. Uh, diminished a little bit as well, uh, and I think that's having an impact. Great conversation with Lindsay. Really appreciate that. And I think that'll spark some conversations too, and we will be happy to continue that conversation further down the road here on Hoopsville and in D3 Hoops. We'll take a break when we come back, kind of just reset some things, get get things a little bit recentered a little bit. Before we got still coming ahead of us, um, J.R. Fredette will join us from Alberta's Magnus. But that's coming up. We'll take a quick break, do a quick segment, and then come back and get the rest of the show back underway in hour number three. You're listening to Hoops Hope, presented by D3Hoops.com from the WBCA and ABC Studios. More after this.